Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life, a show that might just get you dreaming about a different lifestyle. If you're new to the show, subscribe on iTunes, and don't be afraid to begin with episode one. Don't worry, you'll catch up. And if you've been listening all along, review us on iTunes, won't you? It helps other people discover the show. And if you're in Seattle, right now, July 2015, please come see me, Katie Sewell, performing with my old public radio partner, Steve Scher, at Cafe Nordo in Pioneer Square. Details at CafeNordo.com. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but don't fear. She is well, and she will be back on the next episode. In the meantime, I've been exploring the Wall Street Journal's expat blog. I have found it to be a great resource for expats and former expats like myself, and they have a Facebook group, which I'm a part of, and you can be too. Just search for WSJ Expat on Facebook. There are links to both their blog and their Facebook page at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. And all this is to say that I found a great article there titled, What Makes the Expat Lifestyle So Addictive? It was written by Rashmi Dali, an American writer in Asia. I caught up with her in Barcelona, where she's staying for the month with her family to talk more about the addictive side of the expat life. In the article, she talks about the hesitation many expats feel to go back, to return home after their time abroad, for fear that returning home also means that you are returning to how you used to be. I asked her to expand on that. I think that anybody who goes overseas, and I think it's especially true for the first time, Then, I, and the longer you're out, I think the effect sort of changes and morphs into something different. But anyone who goes overseas the first time is in for a change that they can't anticipate. Because no matter whether it's good or bad or challenging or easy, if you're going to go overseas and actually try to live in a place that's not your home, you are going to change. For most people, I think going abroad is a period of positive growth. And so that makes going home seem sort of old and stale hat and something that they left behind. And whether they left it for a reason or were pushed abroad for reasons against their own will or however the circumstances, regardless, almost everyone I talked to for the article said that going abroad made them better and more expansive people. So of course, then going back in contrast, you would feel that your previous self now looks small and closed and, and not quite so not quite so big in, in comparison. And I think that that's something that a lot of expats are afraid of going back to. And some of that's probably true. I think when you're in your home country, you're so acclimated to the things. You don't have the same challenges that force you to grow all the time. You really have to go look for them in different ways. Whereas when you're in a different country, just being outside and trying to, to figure out where to buy bread can feel like a really awesome victory. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, so, you know, there's also a feeling when you go back, some expats, they say, well, it's, I know I'm not going to go back and not grow. It's just that it's not going to be so, that could be this rush of experience every day or every month that slowing down is going to make me feel like I'm actually standing still. Do you think it's hard to even maintain that growth? Do you find that people 
go back home and they get back into the same habit patterns, they actually do reduce. Yeah, I think so. And I think part of it is when you're home, your web of obligations is so complex. Because you feel connected to the culture, you feel responsible to some of the cultural expectations. Even if you don't come home to the same neighborhood, like let's say you're an American living abroad and you've lived in, I don't know, because I'm more most familiar with China, you lived with, in China for a certain amount of years. And the Chinese culture, because if, if you're not part of it, you didn't necessarily feel you had to live up to any of the expectations of the culture to make a certain amount of money or to be in a certain position of reputation in your company. You just did what you wanted to do. But you go back to your home culture and the first thing that happens is that all the things that that culture that we all subtly just know is out there come to expect on you, you immediately go back into it. So your house is expected to be clean, your lawn's expected to be mowed, your car is expected to be a certain brand, and you, you feel obligated at some level to abide by those because now you're back. You're back with people whose opinions seem, I wouldn't want to say they matter more, but they seem more valid because they're closer to your, your normal point of view. And so that's one. Then, of course, you've got people. So depending on what your life was back home, some people's families are very close by or very involved in their lives. So that becomes something. And so you sort of go home and you pile on all these things that you were kind of away from abroad. And of course, like your universe of time and energy shrinks <laughs> by, by like the natural laws of, of time and physics. So, and, and, you know, for some people, they really say, well, it's a fraud and I had a certain shallowness of connection that allowed me to experience things for myself, but then I missed my community. So then they come back and they say, okay, I'm trading that for deeper community. Some people say, I didn't need that community. It was irritating or it, made me feel I had to be someone I didn't want to be. And I think for that category of people, returning home is much harder. So once you shed all those cultural expectations, which does sound appealing, I think at its fundamental level, we all have expectations that we would like to get rid of. How do you find that people actually change once they're outside of all those cultural norms? Well, I think it's a, it's a challenge for expats. I mean, and when I say expats, I really... I mean, anybody who's decided to go and work in a foreign country. So so my definition of expats and immigrants and all that kind of stuff is a bit fluid. If you go into another country and you're suddenly freed of all those things, what I see happening the most, so I've been an expat for uh, this, I'm going on my 10th year. So I spent two years in London. I spent a little under two years in London. I spent a little, uh, I think it's over seven years, around seven years in China I did six months in Indonesia, Bali, and then now I've relocated to Singapore. And so across that, that trajectory, I've met many expats along the way. And almost all of them seem to go through a period when they arrive the first time where they feel sort of in equal proportions, this thrill of like, oh my God, I'm, I'm free and everything's new. And then also this sort of like huge, huge hole that they now have to sort of get get their arms around that, you know, now that they are free of all those things, who are they? What do they really want to do? Who do they really want to be? So I think the journey to figure out who you are and the minute it's, it starts when you land is very hard. And I think that people often glamorize the expat life and then they forget the side where an expat's waking up on a morning, on a Saturday morning and are sort of like, is this who I really want to be? Are these the people I really want to hang with? You know, am I really in my the job I want? And actually find themselves having to 
to make those choices because back home we often can make excuses and say, well, I can't do those things or I can't be that person or I can't not be this person. And when you're an expat, you actually can do all those things, which is a sort of a separate, a separate set of pressures. In response to your original question, I think that the amount that expats grow when they are abroad really depends on how how deep and hard they wrestle with these questions of personal identity and self. If they insulate themselves in a community that doesn't force them to examine those questions very hard, then I think that the growth is not as pronounced as somebody who really does open up those boxes and say, okay, now I'm in a room by myself, sort of figuratively or literally, and I I have to ask these questions and answer them across a course of time while I'm here. So, so there's no one formula to you know that sort of scopes out the direction an expat grows. But I sort of liken it to the IKEA effect. So you know, there's this coin IKEA IKEA effect that you love your IKEA furniture more because you put a lot of effort into it. And I think it's the same with the expat experience. You love your expat experience more the more effort you put into embracing the challenge of living it. Is there something that you personally could point to as far as how you found that you changed having been gone for 10 years? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I, in so many ways, it's, it's almost impossible at this stage to parse them out. You know, my expat experience, the bulk of my expat experience, not my two years in London, but the bulk of my expat experience coincided with motherhood. So I had two changes that happened at the same time. And so sometimes it's hard to decide which was more of an expat, <laughs> which was more of an expat experience. I definitely, when I left, so in my previous life before I was a writer, uh, I worked in finance in New York City. And I think that that's an environment where you are subtly told that every other environment out there sucks or pales in comparison. I mean, New Yorkers are quite especially New Yorkers on Wall Street, are quite convinced that they have the life of all lives. And um, it's not that I didn't know that that wasn't true, but I think I, I didn't expect to see how untrue it was. <laughs> that, you know, I got out into China and it, my life could not have been any different. I was, I was out in the suburbs of Shanghai. I was having babies. I was no longer wearing suits or working in a, you know, in a reputable company and having a fantastic job and, and all those things. At first I thought life was actually over. Like I thought that so many of the things, it was too much of the things that I was used to were just suddenly poof gone. And then I started to realize exactly how broad and amazing life is when you no longer have any of the things that you think you need. That I think has been the biggest change. I'm, I see life completely differently and, and, and more as a series of stages. Each stage has its own joys and one stage you might have money and high heels and another stage you might be covered in milk, uh, eating cheap Chinese fried bread and, and all of them will offer you something if you choose to see it. But I think in the beginning, I probably didn't really see the value in the being covered in vomit and eating fried bread <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I can see why. I've learned to appreciate things and look for this, the silver lining, I guess. <laughs> One of the things you said in the article is that an expat can be free of family, culture, social pressures, and history. 
And I wanted to think more about the history portion of that. What do you mean? Do you mean your own personal history or do you mean the pressure to leave a mark in the world? No, I don't. I actually think the pressure to leave a mark in the world increases when you're an expat. One of the unnatural highs of being an expat is that you actually start to believe that all your dreams of leaving a mark in the world could come true. I think a lot of expats leave in part to make those things come true. And I think that that leads to people putting a lot more pressure on themselves to achieve, actually, than when they're back home just wishing that what they wanted to do to leave their mark on the world can come true. And I know that that was really true for me. I think it was really true for my husband and for a lot of expats. Why do you think it seems more possible? Um, Because I think there's just less in the way. You know, there's just less in the way. You, you're, you feel freer, and whether that's an illusion or that's a truth, there's just less in the way. So coming back to your original question about history, one of the things I think that moves out of the way is, is history. You might have had a relationship back home in which it constantly reminded you you couldn't do something. Or you might have had, you know, a pattern of living back home that constantly made you feel that you didn't have enough time to do something or you didn't, you know, you just, you might have had too many friends back home and you spent all your time socializing and you never got to the book you wanted to write or the podcast you wanted to make. All those things, sort of that stuff that makes you who you are back home and the, and the history and the story you tell yourself about yourself, the story people know about yourself, you can change all of that when you move abroad and start over. I mean, back home, the people who knew me back home would probably tell a very different story about me now than the people who know me as an expat. My story completely changed the minute I left, and I lost a lot of that history and gained a whole new story, and I think that that's something that most expats have happened to them. They retell their life story abroad in a way that reflects closer to who they want to be. Is that what makes the expat life addictive, would you say? The sense that you have control over your own life narrative, that no one else can influence it really at the end of the day, except you, is definitely one of the pieces of being an expat that's addictive. There's not going to be some high school friend who's going to pop up at the nearby Starbucks and remind you of what a geek you were. Or there's not going to be that ex-girlfriend who you're going to run into you know, at a bar and remind you that you dumped her in a terrible way. There's none of that. You know, you just sort of like, and you know, a lot of expats get to the point where they're like, well, if that starts to happen, I'll just move. (laughs) (laughs) But you feel you can do that. You know, you feel you can do that as an expat. And so um, it's also really scary. Uh, A lot of expats, they go, they, they sort of forge out into that world. And then they realize that again, coming back to what I sort of started with that, that now they actually have to tell a story about themselves that maybe before they never really thought to think about too. So it's got both elements of it. It's a very powerful part of the expat experience. It's interesting because in some ways, even though you can run into that ex-girlfriend or that old high school friend, in some ways, that's just, it's all mental. It's not that you can't forge your own path wherever you live, even if you lived in the hometown you grew up in. Do you think that the expat experience or traveling or whatever, moving abroad for a while is important to make that break to start to change yourself? Yeah, you know, I recently on my blog, I wrote this piece about life on a tropical island, because I've lived in Bali uh, up until June. And and the question I sort of examined was, do tropical islands really have more time? But underneath it all was this, this idea that, do you have to be somewhere else to really free your perspective on whatever limiting resource you have? I don't think you have to be. I think that it's a unique opportunity 
to be forced to do that in a way that if you're in your hometown, you might just be too comfortable. It's sort of like, you know, the inertia of being in your hometown, in your home environment is a very difficult thing to overcome. It's much easier to overcome it when you're brand spanking new somewhere. But that said, it's a really good point. I don't think you have to go abroad to have these experiences. I just think they're more tangible when you're abroad because so much around you is so stimulating and new. You've moved quite a few times while you've been an expat. Is that because you're searching for the next new spot or does that have more to do with work? Is that part of the addiction, I guess, is the question. Yeah. Well, the first two years when I was overseas in London, you know, I can't say that I really felt I was an expat, which is something that makes me wonder what I really understand the lexicon to mean, because I guess technically I was an American expat in London, but because I'm of Indian descent and England has this complex history with India, I never really thought of it that way. So I went to London for a year and a half and I thought I was American of Indian descent living in London. And then my husband at the time, who was my boyfriend, wanted to start a life in America with me. And so I went home. So there was really no huge identity wrestling at that time. With China, I was definitely an expat in the sense that I felt the word. And that I think is where more of this experience started to happen for me. And I've often wondered why that distinction, I can't say that I can articulate it yet, but I've often wondered why that distinction has really mattered to me in China and did not matter to me back then. But I think one of the things that was different in China was that I was so far removed from the culture and had absolutely zero connection. In London, I had some tangential connections to it. I had family there and a uh, history of colonialism and familiarity with, you know, it's just, it wasn't so outstandingly different. It was interesting and it was fun, but it wasn't like being on the moon, whereas like China felt completely like being on the moon. And so, um, I, you know, I moved to China not intending to stay there because I found it really uncomfortable. And then my husband, his work, I was having children and his work kept us there for seven years. And so I can't say that I really stayed there to seek out the addiction. But now I have to say I am addicted. And I think the big thing that happened was that after I left China, I got to choose the next destination and I picked Bali, which was amazing. And now we're moving to Singapore and I already find Singapore less exciting, I must say, so much so that I moved in on last Sunday and then on Friday I left for Barcelona for a month. So, <laughs> so I think that, I think that, um, I think I could, I could firmly say now I've, I've crossed into the attic category. Sounds like you're a writer and whatever he's doing for a living makes it so that you're, you're both able to go wherever you want. Well, yeah. So now I think it's a little different. When I was in China, I was straddling two worlds. I have another life in the U S that I used to be a management consultant and I still do some of that. And so that, kept us more fixed. Now that I'm doing more writing, feeling more in quest of the exciting next adventure is definitely related to having more time to allocate to my writing. Because I think as a writer, you really embrace the chance to examine and see new things. And as a management consultant, I needed more stability. Um, and so we didn't move around quite as much. So anyway, this is a long winded way to answer your question. Uh, my husband's job is the anchor job and, uh, and he kindly lets me go wherever I want to go. <laughs> so, um, and that's kind of how that works out now. So. It's interesting cause you start your article with a quote from Ernest Hemingway, mm -hmm. a very negative look, I would say of the expat experience, basically saying 
that you lose touch with the soil, you get precious, you drink yourself to death, you become obsessed with sex, and you spend all of your time talking, not working. Which brings up the, what is the toxic side of this sort of addiction? This constant moving, addicted to the overseas lifestyle. I think people probably don't save enough for retirement because they don't ever think they're going to die or retire. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really tangible, toxic thing. A lot of expats sort of, the, the group that I run with now, we all talk about how all the different currencies feel like monopoly money after a while. Um, what do I think are the toxic things? I've developed a coldness towards my responsibility to my family back home that's probably not good. And not not coldness in a way that like I don't want to tend to those relationships, but coldness in a way that I've accepted that having chosen this lifestyle, I can't tend to them as well as I, I think I could or should. I've missed some key events back home because of this, and I've often wondered, will I look back and say, that was a bad byproduct of having chosen to be so far away. I think that's one, because I do think that those relationships are really important in keeping you grounded and not selfish. And I think that, that there is a sense after a while, like that every day should feel a certain way. And in reality, it really won't. Like right now. So, you know, we came to Barcelona on, on Sunday and, um, we forgot that we have to set up house and get cereal and figure out where to buy milk and, and all those things. And it was, it was actually kind of irritating. It was irritating and mundane and kind of stupid. And we we're like, Oh my God, why is this not easier? And everything's closed. That's not a very good example, but, but we sort of expected to wake up in Barcelona and have this like, Oh, now we're in Spain and this is so amazing. And yet life was just the same, you know, it was exactly the same as it was anywhere else. We had to feed the kids and, find something to do. And and there was like a definite tangible disappointment to that on Sunday and Monday. We're like, oh my God, we could be anywhere. We're doing the same things. Over. And, and, and having that expectation was sort of unnatural. And now, of course, we chilled out and we, we said, well, that's just life. And so I think that's the other side of it is that you really get a sense that every day should be some version of amazing. And when it's not, you really, you really get annoyed or when it's not for a prolonged period of time. And that's probably bad and unrealistic way to live your life but maybe not movie stars seem to do it all the time why can't we <laughs> heck yeah i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe it's just, we're just looking for something bad and there's not anything bad about it so. <laughs> it's the way for me to feel better over here in seattle <laughs> <laughs> yes we're just still buying milk and struggling to count change in spain too so yeah <laughs> What about when it comes to your kids? Do you think about what kind of an, an experience or life they're going to expect as they get older? Yeah, I think that we've really screwed them up. Um, <laughs> I, fully, I fully accept. It's a good thing because, you know, as soon as I closed that last sentence, I thought, oh, God, and then there's my kids. Because for me, I've got all this, like, awareness. And, you know, and I grew up in a small town with a really great family and a stable environment. And so now I'm like, I know both worlds. Where's my kids, like... I don't know anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> their parents take them to Spain for summer school because they're bored. And so um, I think my kids are going to have a really hard time <laughs> uh, living up to, I think they're going to have a really hard time when, it, un, when they're unable to have the same freedom that they enjoy right now because their parents, you know, my husband and I have either set up our life this way or um, we've advanced far enough in our profession to have some of these 
nicer choices, whatever it is. But there's, there's going to come a time in their life when they're not going to have them, just like me and my husband did in our 20s. We slogged it out. We sat at our desk and we stayed up really late and worked really hard and didn't do anything and didn't go anywhere. And, and that was sort of it. And I'm worried for them when they hit that period of their life that there is inevitably in every period of life a complete slowdown or, or more like an investment in a future that requires skills or whatever. You know, even when you're raising kids, you kind of have to sit in the same place for a couple of years. All, all these things, that period of time, I think, might be hard for them. And it'll be unfortunate because those are the periods of time, I think, when you really do a lot of growing and soul searching. And I'm, I'm afraid that they'll just be itchy. Mm-hmm. Are you addicted to the point where you think you'll never return to living in the United States at this point? No, I don't think I'm addicted enough to never go home. I think I'm reaching the point where I realize that people are people everywhere. And I've gotten, I think, older. I'm, I'm near 40 and I've lived lots of great experiences. And I kind of have a good sense of who I am, I think, for now. I'm sure that's going to change another 10 years. I don't feel the need to be abroad to maintain that sense of freedom and self-esteem and confidence and all the other great things I've enjoyed uh, having spent 10 years abroad. So I would go home to the U.S. My reasons to not go home to the U.S. actually are more U.S.-centered than returning home-centered. I just think I'm afraid of the guns. (laughs) (laughs) So... I mean, I think if I lived in my apartment building in New York City with a bunch of liberals who don't own guns, I think I'll be okay. (laughs) Everywhere else, I'm afraid of the guns. (laughs) Do you think that if you did go home, you would return to New York, that you would go home to where you were from before you ever left? Yeah, I mean, I think my main craving for going home is my brother and sister-in-law are there. My cousins are in New York. I've got family on both coasts and... And the whole comfort of going home, the whole trade-off would be, again, it would be, I'm giving up this fantabulous life, but I'm going back to my community. And um, I would be an expat in Ohio. I wouldn't feel any more comfortable in Ohio than I would in Singapore. But in New York, I'd feel home, for sure. That's Rashmi Dali, an American writer on her way to living in Singapore. She wrote the article, What Makes the Expat Lifestyle So Addictive? for the Wall Street Journal's expat blog. You can find a link to the entire article at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. And while you're there, consider donating to the show. You may have noticed that we've passed the 70th episode mark, and we're looking to make some improvements to the show and to the website this fall to make the show a little bit more accessible, a little more shareable, but we can't do it without your help. Also, Rate us on iTunes if you have a moment. Your review actually makes the show easier for other expats to find. And you can make it really easy for other expat friends to find if you tell them about it. This is a grassroots art form, my friends, and it needs people who love it to help it grow. Let me just make one more suggestion and then I'll stop rattling off things that you should do because I know you're busy people, or maybe you're not, but either way, check out the Wall Street Journal's expat blog. It's at blogs.wsj.com slash expat. It's a great hub for expats and global nomads, which we all are, even when we're living where we've always lived, like me. We're curious people, right? With adventurous hearts. I think that's a description of us. And I'll leave it there. Until next week, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, missing Tiffany Parks. Join us again.